Welcome to the Sustainable Clinical Medicine Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Smith. I am a practicing rural family physician and the charting coach. This is the podcast for physicians and advanced practice providers who are ready to step back from the busyness of their clinical day to share ideas, question everything, and redesign their clinical day. We are redesigning clinical medicine to create sustainable clinical days and create time for our lives outside of medicine. Join us for discussions with world experts who are helping design sustainable models of clinical medicine and the physicians or clinicians who have discovered or designed sustainable models of clinical medicine for themselves. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Sarah Smith uh, from the Sustainable Clinical Medicine Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have invited uh, Michelle Haney uh, with me today to help with the introduction to the Sustainable Clinical Medicine Podcast. Uh, I met Michelle through the Alberta Medical Association doing some consulting with her in her role within physician uh, leadership and I am delighted to have her here. So I will let you introduce yourself, Michelle. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm delighted to be here. And I am a big fan of your work and have been watching your career with great interest. So I'm so happy to to be involved with you in in any capacity. Um, And yeah, I think you gave a great introduction. Um, I work with the Alberta Medical Association and I'm really passionate about helping physicians to develop their their leadership skills and uh, and to really help move um, medicine forward. Um, so, and I'm thrilled to be interviewing you on your first podcast, which I think is a brilliant idea. So let's get started. Uh, I guess my first question for you um, would just be like, know a bit about your background and actually I think I want to ask you what made you choose medicine oh there's a good question (laughs) um so actually it was one of those um cliche that I'd always wanted to be a doctor Uh, in fact if we went back to grade two you would find a little girl crying because her mom dressed her in the nurse's (laughs) costume instead of a doctor's costume for dress up day Um, but I did have a fantastic day regardless of that um, because my um, uh, childhood uh, friend had come in as a patient so I got to play (laughs) you know (laughs) with bandages anyway so it was a good day yeah but that throughout the um, as I was doing school and high school I I didn't ever lose that desire to be a um, doctor and and in medicine so yeah it was from a long long time ago Yes, that's amazing. So obviously things fell into place. Your plan, your plan worked out. You became a physician. And did the dream stay alive the whole way through? Oh, another good question. So um, we, in medicine, a lot of us struggle with imposter syndrome. And what we mean by that is we probably don't belong 
is the thought in our head that um, this is somebody else's life or I shouldn't be here or who am I to be here or I don't know enough or I, I'm not really one of the crowd and we feel a little bit like somebody's going to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I finished up grade 12 with a 447.1 um, which in uh, Australia, the the exams out of a possible 510. Ooh, wow. And so 447.1 was what I got. And the entry to medicine was 447. And I rang the university and I said, so I got 447.1. Am I in? And she's like, well, is it more than 447? <laughs> like, yes. Like, by the skin of my teeth, literally. And she's like, well, then you're in. I'm like, so it took a moment wow. to actually get to that point of, oh, I'm in. <laughs> and so that was amazing. And then uh, the transition from high school to university, a lot of my rural students find this as well. So as a family physician, I look after students coming into the university system and they struggle because they've mm-hmm. always potentially been close to or top of their class and they've learned how to succeed in the school environment. Then they get thrown into university where it's really, truly adult learning. And mm-hmm. I floundered just like a lot of the students that I look after. Um, so the first couple of years, uh, I will say there was a bit of illness in there as well, but I did repeat second year. So again, adds to the imposter syndrome. Um, and then third year, I was wondering if I was even going to past because it was a lot of heavy science um, and at that point I decided that I would go and be a, an, um, an EMT or ambulance officer uh, instead of a doctor that was clearly my destination because I couldn't do science um, and so one of my rural uh, mentor I'm going to call her a mum. she was um, mm-hmm. an administrative assistant at the rural family physician department at the university and she pulled me aside and she said now listen (laughs) you've got this go figure it out Uh, and so I paid for a tutor in a couple of the science um, subjects that I was really struggling with and passed and got into the clinical years and then finally excelled put a patient in front of me and I learned so quickly Um, and so for me that's where I finally felt like maybe it's going to be okay. Wow. <laughs> Maybe I can do the doctoring thing so long as I have people to see and learn from. So I, the dream almost died, <laughs> <laughs> except for the wonderful people that we surround ourselves with. And I think community yeah. is so important um, to have your back there. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Well, well, lucky for lucky for your patients that 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 woman was in your life and mm-hmm. interviewed at that moment. Um, and so, so then you, you started your practice in Australia? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So how long did you practice there? So I was, uh, finished up at the University of Western Australia and then moved, uh, we moved as a family across to the East coast of Australia to Tamworth. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a rural scholarship, which was fantastic because I, um, uh, so I got married in fifth year medicine. We had our first baby. And so that rural scholarship paid for um, some day, day parent. So I couldn't <laughs> go and finish being um, a medical student and graduate. So we ended up back um, on the East Coast 
as a family. That's where I started my internship there. Um, so yeah, so we did all of my beginning years in Tamworth, including critical care medicine, emergency department, extra skills before I went into family medicine. And then we moved to Cairns, Australia, tropical North Queensland, yeah. uh, where I was um, full-time family physician there. And even though it's considered rural, it really is city family medicine at that point. Um, but we were there for five years before we continued our travels as a family. So we've been pretty nomadic through the whole yeah. of our together time. Yeah. yeah. And then, so eventually you landed here in Canada. Yeah. And in, uh, in the north of Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to assume like you, things were going, flowing along nicely, but obviously there was some point that you hit, some critical moment that made you change how you do things. So tell us about that critical moment. Yeah, indeed. Um, so when I got to family medicine way back as a resident, there was this thing that I hadn't really appreciated, the paperwork and administration burden. Mm. So as I said, I love patients. Putting a patient in front of me and my brain gets excited. I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm liking the human in the room. I'm liking the uh, detective work and trying to pull together all of the information um, you know, the the history, the physical exam, pulling it together through an illness script and coming out the other side with a some idea, a working diagnosis of what's going on, what we're going to do next steps, and then proceeding to get that happening for a patient. Um, however, the paperwork burden, it yeah. really got me. It was, it was a struggle from day one. So that would include... Um, completing that note. And in Australia, we work in one room. So we, the patient leaves and then we actually invite the next patient in from the waiting room. Okay. Um, and the, the office that we work in is also where we see our patients. So patients come in and there's piles of paperwork. There's a bookshelf of, you know, <laughs> books and papers yeah. and journals. Um, and then they sit there and then we invite them to, you know, get up onto the exam table. So we close the curtain, they get undressed. We're doing our notes in the same room. Like it's a one room, one office yeah. event. And so I was a busy, uh, exceptionally busy um, family physician. Even in residency, I started to build that practice and have a very, very busy practice. Um, but when I was in Australia, 21 to 24 patients was a big day because yeah. you are getting patients out and then the next patient in. So really uh, that takes a significant amount of time. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to make any phone calls or check your inbox, you're doing that potentially between patients if there's something urgent. So the next patient is delayed coming into the room. So it really is such a different workflow than what mm -hmm. I was expecting in Canada um, when I got here. But in that space, I had asked my supervisors at that point, how do you deal with this paperwork? How do you deal with getting charts done, getting referral letters done, getting your inboxes checked? Like, what, what's the strategy here? Because <laughs> this, is, this, this is tricky. I'm really having a lot of trouble with this. And so what I ended up doing, I would stay after the last patient until the, the lion's share of the work was done for that clinical day. And I would go home 
Um, and then we'd have a backlog kind of collect and there was no remoting in access really at that oh, point. Really? Yeah. Um, so it would be Saturday mornings. Mm. They would say, come in on Saturday, come in on Sunday. I'm like, I've got young children. Mm. I'm the sole income earner. I have a busy practice that I'm enjoying, but I'm not enjoying this other side of it. That is not mm. the fun part. Um, within a few years, we had access remotely. So I would remote in, in the evenings. Uh-huh. And I, that would be, that was my next familiar pattern was if it didn't get done before dinner time, I would go home and I would check the inboxes or do the referral letters and charting in the evenings. Um, or I would go in on the weekend to do it. So it would depend on what the, um, how the week was looking in regards to that. But, I was still busy doing other things like medical educator for the other registrars in general practice. I had um, my nursing home patients, 75 of them. So this was a busy practice and adding that (laughs) administrative burden was like really doing my head in. Um, And then we had this option of creating complex care plans for our patients in Australia. And that would actually be of benefit to the patient because then they could access psychology dental um, and physical therapy, other services that weren't necessarily paid for by the government unless they were a complex patient. And I had about 250 of these on my panel of patients. And I said to my clinical um, directors, owners of the practice, hey, could I get an administrative assistant paid for so that I can get to these care plans because they take like, while I've improved and made this very efficient, it still requires a chart review, pulling it into this one or two pager that I've developed. So the process I'd made as easy as possible, but the actual minutes to get to it was becoming impossible. And the answer at that point was no, no, we don't want to hire an administrative assistant. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'd kind of thought about it a little more, which I've obviously since done in my further years in general practice, I probably would have paid for them myself because honestly, there was improvement for the patient and patient care, and it would have been able to be done within the earnings that were given to you for developing these care plans because they knew it was a lot of work. Um, But at that point, my brain was like, well, I am absolutely too busy to do this. So unless it's an absolute emergency, it's not getting done. Um, So that was my experience. Five years family physician uh, in a essentially urban family practice, one room, (laughs) busy, busy practice, Mm -hmm. and just could not contain the clinical day to the clinical hours. Um, Then... I left full-time family practice there. We traveled around Australia as a family and I was invited to um, Rockhampton. There was a physician who had fallen out of a tree and broken himself. So he was off work for a good six to 12 months and he had a solo practice. So he had locums coming in to look after his patients so that his staff would get paid so he could recover And then he would be back to work. So he would be able to return, but not at that point. So I show up and it was such a a completely different experience for me. So I was sat down by the practice manager and she says, here's how it works. You arrive at eight, you see the patients, you'll be in two different rooms. You'll see a patient in one room. Then you go to the next room, see the next patient, then back to the first room, see the next patient. Lunch starts at 12. 
Then we'll start again at one. And at five o'clock, you're out of here. That's it. Wow. There is no phoning patients. We will have everything organized for you. You just do what's required in the room. Do your job. (laughs) And you get lunch. I'm like, okay, interesting. I kind of, so he had a, um, this practice manager, receptionist and a nurse, and they had the patients. I didn't have anything to do with the appointments. I had a patient in front of me. I would go through their pathology results or I'd do their form or I'd see them for their physical exam, whatever they were coming in for, oversee the immunizations, 12 o'clock, everything shuts down. I go and eat lunch. Wow. I come back at one, like I leave the clinic because there's literally nothing to do. Leave the clinic, come back at one, see the rest of the patients, five o'clock. They're like, it's 10 past five, get out. I'm like, okay, wow. you, you are serious. So here I am um, half a country away from my family because I've left them in Tasmania oh, to come goodness. to this locum for a couple of days. So it's 5 p.m., zero homework, zero homework. So I went to the movies. I went to restaurants. I I walked the uh, the riverbank. Like I had the best time, and I'm like, you know what? If I could do this, I could do this forever. This yeah. is so easy and fun. You yeah. know, if there's something in the inbox to be marked off, the patient was coming in to talk about it, so they had it handled. It was delightful and such a different experience to what I'd been used to. It's the first time I'd seen the two room in action. and that requirement that you will be done like there is no homework there is no hangover you see patients close charts and go to the next one and and so I just like did what I was told yeah kind of like a normal job (laughs) kind of like a normal job well that just put a little you know twinkle in my eye that there could be like this little this different way of doing things it was like, wow, he's really thought this through and sorted this out well. Um, and while it was a heavy staff load for one doctor, at the same time, it was so sustainable from the physician point of view. Um, so that was a very uh, uh, eye-opening experience. Um, so, yes, then we came to Canada in 2013, and I started in a rural family physician practice here with emergency medicine and inpatient management and nursing home patients and palliative (laughs) care interest. So this is full spectrum family practice here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. So what did you bring with you from your Rockhampton experience? (laughs) Nothing. nothing (laughs) (laughs) So I, I am, um, again, the I'm the sole income earner of our household and I am a busy physician when I get busy. So here in Canada, in our particular um, practice here, we have 15 physicians. We have a reasonably large building and I get uh, two patient rooms and mm-hmm. a separate office. So um, we have a place where we can make phone calls and check inboxes and do paperwork. But we're, when we're in the room with the patient, there is a computer in each room. Um, we're seeing patients and then we move on to the next patient and our patients are roomed by ushers. Um, So they're checked in at the front desk, roomed by an usher. They might get changed into a gown if they knew that they were there for a complete and we walk in and can do what we need to do in the room. Um, The printer is outside the office. And so I can hear 
see a good number of patients if I wanted to. 38, 40 a day is, is a reasonable possibility for patients who are well known or have less complicated presentations. I do tend to build up complex patients because yeah. I really enjoy the detective work of medicine. So I tend to pick up the yeah. highly complex, multiple issues kind of patients, but I love them. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. So the last patient would leave at 4.30 or 5. And then at 6 p.m., I was consistently getting a text from husband saying, are you ever going to come home? Do you yeah. live here anymore? Oh, Do you no. realize it's 6 o'clock? It's supper time. Um, just a quick yeah. reminder, you, are you, <laughs> 6 o'clock. And that would be the cue that it's time to head home. It's time to help with supper. It's time to sit around the table and enjoy family time. It's time to get the kids to bed. And then knowing full well, I wasn't done. And I was going oh. back to that computer in the evening. Yeah. So is it like this dark cloud hanging yeah. over you of yeah. all these unfinished charts? And... That's right. Unfinished charts, filling over inboxes. Um, the experience of you get to the end of a consultation and your patient hands you a form and says, can you do this in your spare time? And you take the form and your brain would say, there's another hour of my life gone or they're sucking my life away. It was just that constant mental drain of what free time. Don't you understand? Yeah. And and I had the experience of taking those three forms home on a Friday night thinking I'll get them done this weekend. And I would literally do anything else. I would mm-hmm. like do the laundry, rebellion, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. rearrange the closet, clean the uh-huh. kitchen for the 15th time, um, anything at all, but not have a life. Like yeah. let's yeah. go to the park or let's go to the lake. I can't, I have paperwork. Yeah. And going back to work on Monday, having not done them. So mm-hmm. I've I've thought in my brain, I've wasted my weekend. I haven't had the opportunity to spend time with the family and the kids and do something fun. And I haven't got this paperwork done. And it's still going to be there like this Friday night and just going to follow me for weeks and weeks. So it felt like I couldn't get away from it, that it was never done. And yeah. I had that constant experience of I could work for the next 24 hours and still not be done. Like it was a constant massive mountain. And I didn't know where to start. I knew I wouldn't be done. Even when I did start it, it felt so overwhelming and all consuming. Uh, and then you have the experience of holidays. So I am very fortunate that my colleagues don't need a locum. They We cover each other. So if I'm away for a week, my colleagues will do my inboxes for me and cover major things. And they will do it depending on how you want it done. So if I say to them, leave the consult letters, I'd like to read them when I get back, they'll do everything else. So we really have an amazing, great team. And I do encourage that, um, that we all have a buddy system so that you can truly have time off. But the going away on holidays was a nightmare. So I would often pull all the nighter to get everything done. Um, I have taken charts to conferences or, you know, um, for short leave or, or a weekend away doing something medical. I'll take inboxes or phone calls or chart notes or whatever. But for the actual going away for a week, that build up that week was just awful. Pulling an all nighter and then having to pack and get on a plane was just, 
it just about breaks you. Um, and that was my normal experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not nothing for Rockingham. <laughs> I'm like, it's happening again. You yeah. You knew there, obviously you knew there was another way. I did, but I hadn't actually anticipated that it was possible for me. Ah. Um, and then I'd asked, I'd asked mentors here in Canada as well, like the senior colleagues, like, how do you deal with the paperwork? What do you do to manage this mountain of work? And they said, come in on Sunday. Oh, that was again yeah. the answer. Just come in on yeah. Sunday. Just get it done then. Like, uh, I know that's not the answer I'm looking for. That was a no. And then it, it got to the point, my, the breaking point, the moment I knew it had to yeah. change, um, was my kiddo was in grade 10. Mm. my biggest kiddo and I'm like I'm literally going to miss out I am literally mm. going to miss his last two years at home yeah. yeah and so that kind of stopped me and I'm like hang on a minute this is not sustainable maybe mm. I need to leave medicine but I can't do anything else um got no other way of earning income I am uh the sole income earner for my family, they rely on me and yet I'm not home. So how can we do this differently? I need to look out into the world and figure it out. And around that same time, I had been on my way to a um, medical student orientation and I was a guest speaker on topic because I was one of the um, preceptors. We have student doctors in our clinic for a whole year they do their whole third year here which is amazing we love them um, and so I I googled motivational speaker because I really wanted to kind of up my game when it came to education and helping uh, these new generation in, with their learning and and it's nothing worse than a boring speaker <laughs> so I googled motivational speaker and up top came a general life coach and I started her podcast the first podcast I'd ever listened to and it was a five-hour drive yeah and by the time I got there um my brain had broken a little bit (laughs) (laughs) she said things like how you feel is your responsibility you get to decide how you want to feel Joy is available to you right now. I'm like, no, it's not. That's bullshit. <laughs> no, it's not. You don't understand how painful this is. Yeah. But she kept talking about impossible goals are possible. You can do impossible things. Um, it is possible to change. Nothing about your life has to change if you do things can be different. And the more I listened and the more I was in the pain of this clinical day, the more excited I became that to to even entertain the possibility that there was some different way of doing it without the system or environment necessarily having to change, mm-hmm. it could start to be different anyway. So that was the journey. I thought, well, if a general life coach can tell me that anything's possible and that I can change my life without changing everything then maybe there's somebody who's done what I need to do which is get my charting and paperwork under control maybe somebody's already done that and figured it out so let's go find them 
rather than using a general life coach who has no idea about how hard it is for physicians and this horrible paperwork thing. So I went looking in the world. I Googled physician coaches, life coaches for physicians, paperwork help, uh, administrative burden of medicine, and I got a lot of articles about how bad it is. (laughs) (laughs) I got a lot of uh, articles about how... um, physicians were wanting to leave medicine because of the administrative burden or they were drowning in paperwork. I got uh, a a number of physician coaches I found and I emailed, but they were helping physicians leave medicine. Uh, And at that point, like I said, I had zero other way of making money. I I loved, actually loved my patients and the work of a physician. I just hated the paperwork and the administrative burden. So I'm like, okay, well, I've looked and I can't find anyone. So I will go back to the original person who said she could help me. And I started the work with a general life coach to um, change everything about my clinical day. Uh And I mean everything. And this was at the point I met you as well, where you were talking about um, uh, uh, using your team and access improvement measures and, and, quality um, improvement measurements. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard about the the Alberta Medical Association and their work with all of this access improvement, quality um, improvement measures, it felt like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like literally anything you said to me, like, hey, we want to measure this. Hey, we want to do that. The, the burden would be like, mm-hmm. you want me to do what? You want me mm-hmm. to add what to my day? Yeah. And so initially it felt like punishment. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle (laughs) and your team. Um, But eventually it became part of the questioning everything and redesigning Mm -hmm. everything about how I practiced in my own clinical space to create sustainable. And it was a true 18-month process to get to the point where I could start on time, finish on time, and everything was done. Wow. Blew my mind. It was so black yeah. and white. I, I think this bears revisiting here. So so you're saying to us that you start on time, you finish on time. So you do you you're no longer getting those six PM texts from your husband saying That's right. Oh, are you going in on the weekend to finish charts? No, 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 no. So the the charting is, um, and what I teach now, because I went and f- what what once you and here's the thing: once you get to the point where you're doing family medicine with no homework, it is so life changingly different, and you have created. Yeah. Bucket loads of time. Bucket loads loads of time. time. Because you've got your entire evening to sit on the couch guilt-free. You've got your weekends to say yes to whatever you want to say yes to. I was so elated. I had so much energy. I was sleeping. (laughs) It was so much fun that I could not contain this. Wow. I I said to Sue Peters, uh, who works with Michelle, um, I'm going to be a coach because I cannot keep this to myself. I have to help 
And at that point, it was my family physician colleagues. Yeah. Understand that going home in the homework is possible. Mm-hmm. I know because I was the worst culprit out there. <laughs> and now I'm fully reformed. And so, yes, the charting is absolutely 100% done. And then we've created that protected, so protected patient time where we're seeing patients closing charts and then the protected inbox time where we're actually having prioritized, understood time for the rest of the work of today. Wow. Because it's not just the patients and the charts. Yeah. And for the longest time, Everything else was just shit that happened to me during the day. There was no Mm -hmm. understanding of, well, how many results are going to be in there? How many phone calls are there going to be in there? How many inboxes do I have? I had never even taken into account what that looked like, how long it took, when would I do it? Um, What were my processes? What slows me down? Like I questioned every single aspect of my clinical day to figure this out. And it's a mammoth work if you're going to do it on your own. It's possible I did it, but it's yeah. <laughs> it's a mammoth amount of work because you're really looking into every nook and cranny of your clinical day. And yeah. then the resources that you were talking about became so much more important with the, the how to talk to a team, how to lead a team, how to manage a team, how to use resources available to you rather than just putting it another brick on your shoulders of there's another task. I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's really that massive shift to, and to create what I found sustainable for me. Mm -hmm. So it's about, so, and and this podcast will be about finding conversations with people who have also created sustainable medicine for themselves or other people helping physicians discover sustainable medicine, because my way is not necessarily everyone's way right? The journey I specifically took. Um, But I've learned that too. It's not a one-way fits all, of course. So within charting coaching, which is what I do now, we're discovering your way in your environment without having to change your world. How can you create sustainable medicine for you? What does that look like for your clinical day with your patients, your appointments, your staff? Yeah. Wow. So so this is then kicking off what is going to be, it sounds like a very rich podcast filled with lots of great information. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so if people want to, you know, I'm sure and someone listening to this might be thinking, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes I want that. Yeah. Um, what can they expect, you know, if they, if they find you and what, what do you offer? Sure. Yeah. And we'll talk about this as well as we go along in the podcast, but just so that they have an understanding of what Mm -hmm. then happened from this point. So I went and certified as a life coach because I wanted to have that same good foundation that I had used, which was coaching to help me have permission to be brave, try something different, fail a bunch of times and keep going until I got exactly what I wanted. So I knew where I wanted to go, but I had no idea how to get there. I knew I wanted to be home with no homework. That's what I wanted. And I was not giving it up. I now had a good reason and I had a timeline. (laughs) Like I want this figured out before my kiddo leaves my home. So that was my big, powerful 
brave, ready to jump in and do what was needed and fail a bunch of times to get there. But it's really, that is incredibly difficult to do on your own. So having a coach or a community to help you along and encourage you and give you ideas is super important. So I went and did that training to become a certified coach. And then I walked physicians through it one by one to help them specifically with where they worked and how they worked and who they worked with and trying to strategize and help them hold their hand, be brave, have the courage to start, try something different, come back and say what didn't work, keep going and not give up on that dream until they got what they wanted. And once we'd done that over and over, so I put hundreds of hours of coaching under my belt with all the different types of physicians who would come to me, including the subspecialties who started trickling and saying, please help me. I'm a you know pulmonologist. Please help me. I'm a hemo-oncologist. Please help me. I'm a internal medicine physician. Please help me too. I'm a pediatrician. We we started to one on by one say, yes, this strategy works. This is the proven process to get you there. So I then put that all together in a lifetime access program for physicians. So they get that super concise core modules where they get to do the steps to getting home with today's work done, how to really be curious about your clinical day. And then six opportunities a month at the moment. And that will grow as the community grows um, where they can come in and say, I am a, you know, internal medicine physician and I am struggling with, you know, getting my charts done, over charting, dictation takes too long. My uh, consultations are running half an hour behind anything they're struggling with specifically, they get specific help. So we start to help them use their resourceful brain, use their team. What else are we not seeing how else could we try this differently until they get the result they want and then a community of their peers where they can come in and say anyone else you know getting onto their backlog this weekend who wants to jump on a room with me so we can do this together or anyone else got some ideas on how to template this or any ideas on how to make this part of my consultation faster Um, so we talk about leading the consultation, becoming the executive decision maker in the room, deciding what needs doing today and what needs to be deferred so that you can create sustainable and running on time encounters, how to get that charting done before we move to the next patient. Where are we going to do the rest of today's work? What is the priority? What are your rules? How to manage those interruptions in your day, which happen from your learners, from your staff, (laughs) from your admin. (laughs) How do we deal with walk-ins? How do we deal with late patients when we don't necessarily get a choice because our administration says you'll be seeing them whether they're late or not. You'll be seeing at least four walk-ins a day. Like the, the interesting external environment that physicians are faced with is so diverse. And many of the physicians in the U.S. are now salaried and they're given rules by their administration and they're given new um, disciplinary action if they're not getting their charts closed within 72 hours or they're under earning because they're now getting docked pay or they're even the physicians in Canada or Australia are getting docked pay if they're not billing within a time frame that's allowed if they're not if they don't close it, if they don't build till they close their charts and they're not closing charts same day, they're starting to get under earning or just that extra hours at night charting is diluting their income. So we, we, we inside that charting champions program help with all of that. We help you find your best way 
in the environment that you work. Yeah, which I think is so important that you can't change how many staff you have. No, no. Or your email. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Big change. Yeah. So it sounds like you're you're really people get to benefit from (laughs) all your years of trial and error and, and figuring out like really benefit from the wisdom of, of your bravery. And, and, you know, I, I know physicians are often notoriously perfectionists and, and so that, that willingness to make mistakes and fail, sometimes that's a, that's a hard one. So yeah. yeah. Failure in medicine has consequences for your patients, but as adult learners, the only option to learn new things is to fail. So if you think about running a five kilometer, if you've never been a runner before, the first day of training, your intention is to fail. You will not run, be running five kilometers at your best time. (laughs) And so, and you have, you don't put any emotional load on that. It's just, duh, of course, it's going to take me at least, you know, 10 days of training, maybe even longer. Um, in order to be able to start even thinking about running 5Ks, right? Um, so we we gladly sign up to fail when we want to do something new like running. But when we're talking about changing up something that we've been doing the same way for such a long time, especially when you're in the pain of it and you're like, but this is just the way it is and everybody's struggling with this. Yeah. Isn't this just normal? I'm like, why would you want that? especially when I hear physicians inside places like Facebook groups saying this is unsustainable how on Mm. earth why what else can they add to my day I I can't do it if it's going to be like this I know I see quite a few physicians too who are kind of almost living their lives in this limbo because they've lost their commitment to medicine they're not fully committed they're not loving it and they're looking at what else like how could I get out of this how can I get out Mm -hmm. where could I go I don't know and so they're living in this horrible state of not fully in and not fully out yeah um and it sounds like you know with with the help of your your experience your coaching and then the community sounds like that's an amazing community that you've created so um so people are finding a way to and from what you said, it sounds like instead of finding a way to get out when they work with you, they find a way to be fully in. They can stay in. Like there's no yeah. obligation to stay in clinical medicine, but truly we have prepared and trained for this. It's yeah. just the sustainability of it becomes um, so difficult. When you've got so many physicians saying, I need to leave medicine, but it's just heartbreaking given I, I know the investment in your brain and your education in money in time to become a physician and then saying, but it's unsustainable the way it is. So we're saying, well, how can we help you make medicine sustainable for you? And this is physician led sustainability. This is yeah. you deciding I want to make this sustainable for me, not some organization coming down your throat with another you know, burnout lecture saying, um, you must stay, or <laughs> we don't want to lose you. Um, here's a um, stick or carrot to try and stay. The incentives, while I agree with incentivization to, for physician retention, we need to look at what else is creating the desire to leave. Mm. Um, because it's not often 
sometimes it is financial, but it's not necessarily financial. Very often it is the intrusion into their life, the inability to rest, the the demands, the patience. There's other factors. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to look for is what is it about um, medicine that we can help you make sustainable? What is unsustainable about medicine for you right now? Wow. Well, I, for one, am excited to follow your podcast and and hear all the amazing information that I'm sure is going to be uh, coming. And what is what is the name of the podcast, actually? A Sustainable Clinical Medicine. Ah. Well, that sums it up very nicely. <laughs> well, thanks for having me interview you, Sarah. I'm I'm really honored to to be the first um, on the first inaugural podcast. And I wish you. Well, I don't even need to wish you luck. I I know that this is going to be a, such a useful and uh, life changing. I think information for a lot of people. So thank you on behalf of patients. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so, so very much for being here and helping me get the um, podcast underway. I appreciate it. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for being part of the Sustainable Clinical Medicine podcast. If you'd like to learn more or join us to help you get home with today's work done, go to chartingcoach.ca. There you'll find all the information on the premier lifetime access charting champions program that is helping physicians get home with today's work done with all the proven tools, support and community you need to create time for your life outside of medicine. We would love to see you there until next time. Thanks for listening.